Welcome to everybody. We are going to be in the book of Romans, and tonight we're just going to give a little bit of an introduction to the book of Romans. Uh, we'll read the first 15 verses. And I'm calling it Back to the Basics. If you have been with me since the inception of me being pastor, you will know that this is one of the first Bible studies that I ever did. I love the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. We're going to read the first 15 verses. Again, back to the basics. And the reason why I'm saying that is because there are basic principles in the book of Romans. I think if you are a new Christian, that Romans is one of the key books that you need to read and study uh, because it will help you immensely. Soon after being saved, I would jump into the book of Romans so we have a good knowledge base to be able to share the gospel. If the Lord just wanted to save us, he might knock us in the head when we got saved and just take us on to glory, right? Uh, but we're here to be witnesses uh, to the world. So let's read it. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. You haven't even got four verses in and it's already talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready. I know this is not uh, normal preaching time, but that's that's better preach right there. I am ready uh, to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Back to the basics. Every year, before the season ever begins, professional athletes go through training camp. 
And what do they do? They don't learn new techniques and skills. They relearn the fundamentals of the sport. And they go through conditioning exercises to help them get ready for the struggles of the regular season. So we as Christians also need to occasionally go back to the basics, go back to the fundamentals, go back to the training so that we are equipped to do what God has called us to do. We should relearn the tenets of our faith, brush up on our understanding of basic Bible principles um, surrounding our faith so that we are able to share the gospel. In order to share the gospel, you need to study and apply the principles in your own life. So that's why we're doing what we're doing is we're going through training, spring training in the summer, right? Uh, we're going through this conditioning. The reason why it's important to do this with everybody who can attend and who's online and all of that is so that we can reach as many people for Jesus Christ as possible. So it's not just the pastor's job, as we know, uh, to bring people to salvation. Did you know that only about 1% of people who come to salvation is because of the pastor's message? Most people who come to Christ do so because of a personal witness of someone that they love or someone that they are friends with. Personal testimony, that personal witness of that person uh, who comes to them and says, I want you to know about this Jesus that I know. So people are one to Christ through relationships. Why did you come to this church? Uh, how many of you, some of you had family members here. Some of the, the Lord just led you here, right? Uh, just different, different paths, but it's relationships. You had a family here, right? This relationship and this testimony, the way we act in our everyday life, Christianity is not just about Sundays and Wednesdays. When we begin to learn these basic principles, then we can accurately describe the good news in our own words in order to influence people. When we're teaching, I want you to not necessarily memorize what these terms and these tenets of our faith are, but what I want you to do is internalize them so that you can speak it to somebody else. Put it in your own words. And so that's, that's what we want to do. Why did Paul write the book of Romans? Tell the good news, obviously. The Lord has called him to do so. Two main purposes is, number one, because he's writing a letter, and they, he's never been to Rome. Did you know that Paul, at this point, when he wrote Romans, had never been to Rome? He's writing a letter, couldn't pull up FaceTime, and say, this is me, I'm going to come and see you, and we're going to share the gospel together. And he couldn't do that. He wasn't on YouTube. He wasn't on Facebook Live. He wasn't on, you know, podcast. So he had to write a letter. That's old school. He wrote this letter to introduce himself to the church at Rome. Number two, the reason why Paul wrote the book of Romans 
was exactly what you said the first thing. To be able to declare the gospel message of Jesus Christ and what it means to be a Christian. After more than 2,000 years, when somebody says, oh, you're a Christian or they're a Christian, we understand what that means, right? We have 2,000 years of history, if you will, to tell us what that means. But they did not. Paul wrote the book of Romans, probably around 56 AD. That's not important necessarily for you to... I've already told you it's one of my favorite books to study. Many scholars consider Romans to be Paul's greatest work. Paul had, by this point, already founded churches. He had been preaching the gospel for over 20 years before writing this letter. And so he is an experienced preacher. He's an experienced apostle, church planter. Why Rome? What was so important? Roman Empire, a place of, of communication, a place of importance. Many would consider Rome to have at that time been the capital of the world. The Roman Empire was powerful and strong. And later on, we're going to talk about some of those benefits that the empire of Rome brought about that made the spreading of the gospel very easy compared conquering nations, taking the gospel with them, uh, all kinds of things. Paul knew it was important because of the influence of Rome and the Roman government, and he wanted to use that influence to help spread the good news. If I said to you, I need you to spread this important news, you wouldn't put it in the winter sun. I mean, that's a very small, narrow path to be able to communicate. You'd probably use some form or forms of social media at this time. Paul is using the influence of the Roman government and all that they had conquered and all that they had in their possession uh, to influence the world with this good news. Probably wrote this while he was in Corinth, uh, we know that he was there for a while, and he was preparing to take a trip to Jerusalem. So that's probably whenever he wrote this book of uh, Romans. Paul had a desire, and I, I think it's more than a desire. It was a mandate upon his life. Constantly throughout the epistles you see where he's saying, I'm coming to Rome. I've got to get to Rome. I need to get to Rome. Why? Because he knew it was a mandate upon his life. And that, I mean, his life is short. And you want to use the most powerful means that you have to be able to communicate the gospel as a Christian. It's important Paul was designed to get to Rome so that he could, from there, go on to Spain and reach out beyond that. Uh, so he sent a letter to Rome, the Roman church, I should say. Guess who he had hand deliver this letter to the Roman church? You're going to name all the important people you can think of, and you're going to be wrong. A woman 
deaconess by the name of Phoebe. Women are being greatly used in the kingdom of God. You should be excited. This great epistle to Rome, which now is being studied by us some 2,000 years ago, hand-delivered, Paul said, this is important. You get this to that church. And so I find that very interesting. Uh, the trust, obviously, she was trustworthy. She was a deaconess who was doing a great job. And Paul says, I need you to take this letter. It's of the utmost importance. And I want you to handle it. So when we start talking about the book of Romans, it, like I said, it has many different theological concepts in it. But the overarching theme, and this is in your questions, of Romans is the righteousness of God. Overarching theme of the book of Romans. So as we know, God is perfectly righteous, uh, and it's by his grace that we are forgiven. And because of his righteousness, it should hopefully urge us to live a life that is consistent and patterned after God's righteousness. You know, as the Bible says, be holy as I am holy. So God does have a standard for us. I appreciate grace. I need it. But I also know that God has a standard of righteousness. But it's only through him or through Christ that we can ever attain any form of righteousness. For what does the Bible say our righteousness is like? Filthy, dirty rags. This theme of the righteousness of God goes throughout the book of Romans. Something unique about the book of Romans is that it has a very succinct way of explaining the plan or the path of salvation. Anybody remember what that's called? The Romans Road Plan. So it begins to explain in a quick manner how to win people to Christ. And it's all in one book. It's all in the book of Romans. Romans 10, 9, and 10 is one of those last in that Roman road. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, then he said it. The book of Romans has many scriptures in it that I would encourage you to learn. Whether or not you learn them word for word, but at least know the concept that, they, that is there, uh, that's very important for us to do. The letter to Rome, which I started to explain a few minutes ago and got off track, is different from many of the letters that he wrote to other churches. Most of the New Testament letters that Paul wrote was because the church was facing a unique challenge or a problem. So he's saying he's been there. He probably helped start the church, plant the church, put the leadership in the church. And then he visits and he's like, you guys need some work. I know we need some work, right? Uh, every church needs some work. There, there's no perfect church, right? Uh, so Paul here normally writes a letter that focuses on a unique problem and the challenge of the church. But since he had never been to the church in Rome, 
he bases his book and he focuses on God and the redemption plan of God. That's why it is so theologically put together and we can understand many of the theologies in the Bible. Maybe Rome was glad he hadn't visited yet uh, to see. I believe the church in Rome had some issues too. Amen. But let's look at verse 1. Paul introduces or identifies himself in two different ways. A bondservant or a servant and an apostle. So it's very important that we understand no matter what kind of title we might have, be it pastor, evangelist, missionary, teacher, whatever it might be, we are first and foremostly a servant. We're servants of the Lord. I find it very interesting. If he was a worldly person, he would have said, I'm a great apostle Paul. And he would have told us all about his accolades and who he was and why he had the authority that he had, but he didn't. He said, first of all, I'm a bondservant. Now, this was a servant who come alongside the master and he was important to the master, but he was still a servant. And that's what we are coming with those words. We're all important to the kingdom of God, but we're also still just servants. And it tells us that he is separated to the gospel of God. What does that mean? Separated to the gospel of God. He's set apart. He is specifically assigned to. He's a messenger. He's an ambassador for the gospel. Interestingly, that word, it could be Pharisee. And the Pharisees were all about being separate from everybody else. We talked about it in not a good way, in a self-righteous way. We're better than the Sadducees. We're better than the commoners. And we're even better than the, those who, know, who are lawyers in the, in the Bible. We're, we're better than all those. That's what the, but Paul's not saying that here. He's saying, I'm separated for a specific purpose to give the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So we're a servant, but a servant with a message and a servant who is an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Every time you walk out of these doors or every time you walk out of your house and go somewhere, you are an ambassador for the kingdom of God. How many ever get up and don't feel like you're anything like that? I mean, let's just be truthful. But, but we are. We're important to the... There is someone, maybe tomorrow, that you'll cross paths with who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if we are not observant and we are not in tune with the Spirit of God we could miss and not give them that message of the gospel or show them love like we ought to, which may lead to the planting of a little seed that somebody else might water and somebody it might grow. So you look at your neighbor and say, you're an ambassador for Christ. 
of the kingdom of God. We are on duty. So he separated to the gospel, but not just any gospel, because gospel means good news. He separated to the gospel of God. It is not something that was made up by Paul. It was not something that was designed by man. No man would have come up with this great plan of the gospel. Through one dying, all can be made sinless and come into the kingdom of God. How does that even make sense from a human standpoint, right? And if it's God's gospel, then we're simply messengers or ambassadors of that message. The word God occurs 153 times in the book of Romans. How many knows every word in the books is important? But it's the most important one in this epistle. Because everything is about the gospel of God. We're going to look at verses 2 through 6. So Paul, what is Paul doing in these first few verses? He is introducing the gospel to the Romans. But I thought they were already a church. But I thought they were a good church. If you read the whole book of Romans, you'll see that they're doing well. Why would he introduce the gospel to a church? There were former Jews, is what you have to understand. So here Paul wants to give this very detailed description of what the gospel is. How many knows that sometimes you just need to have rehearsed something, sometimes even when you know it? Because we forget the importance and we forget key things sometimes. So uh, Paul is introducing the gospel. This gospel was not anything new. Did you know the gospel is not a just a New Testament principle? It's not. We think about it, we think, you get to Jesus on the cross and then you have the whole gospel of, that's, that's where the gospel starts. No incorrect theology. Can I tell you where the gospel starts? Way back in Genesis, when man failed and man sinned, and he was hopeless, and he ran, man, and the woman ran away from God, and they tried to hide and cover themselves, and God said, that's not going to be good enough. But he made skins to cover them. First blood sacrifice, which would lead to eventually its foreshadowing of Christ being the very first, the only sacrifice acceptable for our sins. The concept that the gospel is only a New Testament thing is that's not true. It is a biblical thing. How do we know that? Because he said God promised the gospel before this time through the prophets. The prophets are given the gospel? Yeah. That gospel that there's hope in God. That gospel that in the Old Testament, which is a foreshadowing of the New Testament, that you got to have a blood sacrifice. It's only through the shedding of blood that there's remission of sin. That's an Old Testament principle applied in the New. Of an un yes, of an unblemished lamb. We see this. It's not new. It's not a clever invention of man. It has been there since the beginning. But it is always, I love the rest of this verse. It says, concerning Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, there is no gospel 
message. Christ is the center of the gospel. And Paul's already laying the groundwork here in these first 15 verses all about salvation and redemption and justification and all of those things, but none of that means anything without Jesus. Christianity is not simply a moral system or a teaching. It is the very person of Christ. Just like we talked about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago. Holy Spirit, we shouldn't call the Holy Spirit. Many people wrongly, uh, ignorantly say, oh, I got it. And you didn't get it, you got him. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, right? Christ is the center of the gospel. And what does it say about Jesus here? He, he says he is of the seed of who? What does that speak to? His human origin. He's of the seed of David. But yet, just a few words later, he said, declared to be the Son of God. Who did the declaring? God the Father did. An eternal existence of Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity. He's an eternal being. Eternally God. What's the evidence of, his, of Jesus' humanity? He was born. Born like a human was. He suffered. He bled. He died. He was compassionate. He was all of these things that we go through. He was angry? Yeah, he was. That's part of it. So his humanity is shown, but yet his divinity, but for sure his divinity was shown in his resurrection on that third day. He is both of human origin and eternal in nature. He is God. Paul is just, you have to lay the foundation. That's what Paul's doing here. Because if you just laid it on the ground, it's gonna, that's still standing. I helped Dad do that. It's still standing because it had a firm foundation. And so it's important for us to get this foundation. Paul goes on to say, the gospel gave us grace and apostleship. So two gifts of the gospel are grace and apostleship. And these two gifts together help produce obedience to the faith. The gospel is big enough and great enough for the whole world. We don't need another plan. God's plan is big enough, it's good enough, and it's for the, all the nations of the world, all the people of the world. Let's look at verses 7 through 15, just at a glance. To all who are in Rome. Paul never been to Rome at this point. And he's addressing them, and he knows it's important, and he understands that Rome is the capital of the world, but he's never been there. But can I tell you, he already knows some people from Rome. Because if you go, if you flip all the way over to uh, chapter 16, before he ends the book of Romans, he lists off about 30 people who were instrumental in that church, right? And in Rome. How did Christians get to Rome? I thought it all started in Jerusalem. 
How did they get there? How did they learn about Jesus? So they, they moved from Jerusalem, which was the center of where the gospel initially was poured out, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and they began to get persecuted, and they began to travel. That is a part of how Christianity got there. But how many remembers, if you're reading about the day of Pentecost, there were Medes and Persians and Greeks and, and Romans. They were all speaking in other tongues. Those who were in the Holy Spirit, where we talked about the Holy Spirit, I don't believe it was a heavenly language. It was literally their language of their area, so they heard the goodness about the goodness of God in their own language. Now, something exciting was happening in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost and thereafter. I don't believe that they packed up and went home immediately. Now, how many knows that the revival hits? People want to hang out. Have you, have you ever heard of Brownsville Revival? You know how long that went on? Years. Because people were going and getting saved and getting healed and getting told you miracles were happening, all those kinds of things. And people went and it's like, I want to experience it. So what happened was what they experienced in Jerusalem because of the day of Pentecost. Then they go home and they go like, you got to get a hold. They begin to tell their name, you got to get a hold of what happened in Jerusalem. This is amazing. And so they begin, that's Acts 2.10 that describes how there were people there in Jerusalem that were of Roman descendancy. By the way, it's in Romans chapter 16 as well that he says, I thank God that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. This church in Rome was on fire for the Lord. Easy times don't always spread the gospel like times of persecution. We don't like persecution. We want to be able to live. We want to be able to go out and do what we want to do. That's not what the Christians in Rome were experiencing. But yet the gospel was spreading like wildfire. Because when people get a hold of something real, it makes a difference. These, they were experiencing persecution, imperial persecution. The very first emperor was Nero, who began to persecute and slaughter and kill the apostles and the disciples and people who profess Christ instead of professing that the emperor was God and to be worshipped, right? So it, it's important for us to understand that Many times we get discouraged in our day because it feels like it's not like it used to be. It used to be easy to witness to people. People used to come to church just because the doors were open. It was a part of the culture and the, I mean, those is not like that today. And we get discouraged by looking at that. But what I want us to understand is, is this an opportunity that God is giving to us? And have we come alive to that to spread the gospel, even in times of persecution, maybe better in times of persecution? So it's important to, to see that. Now, Paul told them, hey, church in Rome, I'm praying for you. We know you need to hear that. It's good to hear somebody say, I'm praying for you. 
uh, without ceasing, making mention of you in my prayers. For God is my witness. What's Paul doing here? He's saying, I'm praying for you. And if that's an incorrect statement, God's witnessing it. So I want you to understand, I really am praying for you. In the age of Facebook, it's so easy to just say, pray. Don't type it if you haven't done it, is all I'm saying. Take some time. Pray for people. Let them know, I pray for you. Maybe say what you pray for them about, right? Because people need to understand that you're, I'm not saying don't, don't type that. Yes, people need to know you care and that you intend to pray, but don't just intend. Because people need it like right then. They wouldn't have said it if they didn't need it right then. Uh, so it's important. Why did Paul want to go to Rome? One part of this may seem a little bit selfish on his part. He says, I want to come to Rome to impart something, some spiritual gift to you. That's not the selfish part. Wow. What God pours into us, we are to pour into others. If God speaks into our life, we are to speak that into others. If God blesses us, we are to bless others. So Paul's saying, there's this spiritual gift that God's given me to preach and to minister the word of God. And I want you to hear it from me because I want you to get it. And I want you to receive it. I want you to be blessed. That's why I get so excited when I can tell when I'm teaching and preaching and people are just like, oh, yeah, that's good. I got that. Not because I want to be uplifted because I help them, but because that's part of what God's called me to do. And I want to know if I'm being effective. So Paul's saying, I want to impart something to you. But then he also says, and this is what it's about being in, in, a, in the body of Christ. So that I might be encouraged myself. See, we're, we are here for one another. To encourage each other. And to bless each other. So Paul's saying, this is a mutual benefit for both of us. For me to preach the gospel to you. And for me to be encouraged by you. Because you also have something to impart and to me, that's why I love teaching that is the, the learners and the teacher able to ask questions, talk, clarify things because we're both benefiting. I, I, through the years, through 11 years of teaching, working on 12, I've learned so much from the people, some of the people sitting right here. So we're mutually encouraging one another. Paul said, I am a debtor. I preached this not too long ago. I'm a debtor to the Greek, the barbarian, the wise, and the unwise. Who does that incorporate? Everybody. Imagine, we don't walk around thinking that we're indebted to people. I don't know hardly anybody. In the physical I own my house. I don't own my car. I don't have any other bills. I don't, I'm not indebted to hardly anybody. In the spiritual realm, I'm indebted to everyone. And if I don't fulfill the calling upon my life, then I'm not paid that debt to others. That's what Paul's saying. Do we really understand that principle? It's not wrong 
to have things, to work for things, to be blessed. But if that's the only focus in our life, then we're missing the mark. Because we're indebted to others to know of this Christ and this Jesus that we serve and that we love. So we're indebted to others. And the best way that Paul saw to pay that debt was to preach the good news of the gospel. You're a preacher. You're a priest. That's what the Bible says. You're a king in the kingdom of God. I don't have much education. I, I don't have this. I don't know this. I don't understand that. I don't. You are a priest and a king in the kingdom of God. Vital to the kingdom of God. Each one of us. How do we repay that debt if we're indebted to people to, that they might know this Jesus that we know? How do we pay it? Open your mouth. Tell them about it. The best way that you and I can pay the debt is to tell the good news. Because the good news frees people. They're in debt too. If they don't know Christ, did you know that you're in debt if you don't know Christ? The wages of sin is death. It's one of the Roman road scriptures. So they're weighed down in their sins and they're indebted because they are weighed down with their sins and their uh, all the things that they have done uh, in their life but they can be spoken to and freed by the good news of the gospel if someone was entrapped in the physical and you could set them free you had every thing you needed to set them free when you do it people are trapped in their sins said many, many times in teaching that sin is a downward path. And as you begin to fall into sin, and it is a fall, you begin to go down and down into all kinds of things. Gross sins, addictions, all kinds of stuff, and, it's, and it just takes you down a path. But we have within us the Word of God to build that set free. And who the Son is set free is free indeed. And then I just love Paul's response here as we finish up verse 15. Paul said, give me a minute, Lord. Let me finish the things I want to, and then I'll preach the gospel. Is that what he said? No. He said, I am ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm ready to do whatever it is, Lord, that you want me to do. When I say preach the gospel, it doesn't have to be here or up there or on a podium of any sort. Your life will preach the gospel if you live it for the Lord. It will. Just the way you treat people. It tells people about the Lord. Paul said, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Romans 1.15 Acts 21.13, he said, I'm ready to suffer. 2 Corinthians 10.6, he said, I'm ready to do unpleasant work for the Lord. How many knows that working for the Lord isn't always easy? Sometimes it's difficult. And then in 2 Timothy 4.6, he said, I'm ready to die. 
for the Lord. I've fought my fight. I've finished my course. I'm ready. And there's laid up a crown of righteousness for me. But not just for me, but for all those who know the Lord, right? What well, think we're gonna we're gonna have a crown. A crown of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Not ours. We'll know that we're unworthy and we'll lay that crown right at the feet of Jesus. And we'll worship him. Paul got eventually does get to Rome, by the way. We're gonna we're gonna we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, but he didn't come like he probably thought he would. He might have thought he was gonna ride in freely preaching and declaring the gospel of Christ. Heralded as a great speaker and great preacher, but no, he came into Rome as a shipwrecked prisoner. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes what we desire, and I'll use that word lightly, desire because God puts it in our heart. God causes it to happen, but sometimes it don't work out exactly like we think. Because <laughs> I'm sure that Paul didn't really desire it to be that way. But God receives all the glory. If you think about it this way, Paul didn't have to spend any money to get to Rome. None whatsoever. The Roman government put him on a ship, made sure he got to Rome, and they gave him opportunity to write. They gave him opportunity to have visitors who could come and take the letters that he wrote and distributed them to the churches. They roomed him, boarded him, fed him. Now, I'm not saying it was a life of Riley. not saying that. But God always, if we are willing to do the work of God, he will make a way. Are you prepared to do what God's called you to do, to be his witnesses? What, for what two purposes did Paul write the book of Romans? To introduce himself and to give a clear declaration of the gospel. Question two. Why was it so important to get the gospel message to Rome? Capital of the world. Capital of the world. I forgot to tell you something. I forgot to include some other things about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire brought peace to the world, order to the world, a common culture, an excellent transportation system. There's a reason why we call it the Roman road because they had great roads. All of that benefited the spreading of the gospel. Um, so it's amazing. God knew what he was doing, didn't he? Question four. Romans contains a very succinct way of explaining the gospel message called the, called the Roman road. That's a succinct way of explaining the gospel. So I, that question may have confused some of you, but that's that Romans 3.23, 6.23, uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10, all those, that's a very succinct, shortened version of the plan of salvation. What is the overall theme of Romans? And Bill, you got that right. The righteousness of God. Question five. Paul identifies himself as firstly a servant or bond servant of Jesus Christ and secondly as an apostle. Question six. The word God, God is the most important word in this epistle and occurs 153 times. 
Question seven. Blank is the center of the gospel. Christ is the center of the gospel. Question eight. Describe how Paul and the Roman church would be mutually beneficial to one another. They would encourage each other. He would impart a special spiritual gift to them, and he would be in turn be encouraged by them. Question nine. How could Paul repay the debt that he owed? Preaching the good news. Preaching the good news of the gospel.